This is the Creative Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lopez. Hope you enjoy this podcast. It's set up and designed for coaches, leaders, and influencers to share their stories and inspire others to share their stories as well. That we can all learn together as a community and get better every day. So thank you for listening to season two. Today's guest is Sundance Wicks. Coach Wicks is an assistant coach at the University of Wyoming. We talked to him today about how caring for your players makes them work harder. We talked about bringing your juice, because he always brings it, right? We talked about believing in yourself. He gives us a great Kevin Durant story. And he talks about how to bet on yourself at the highest levels. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Mike, man, I'm 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 super juiced to be here, brother. This is a it's a beautiful day in in Missouri right now. It's it's always sunny in St. Joseph, as they say. Yeah. Uh, and and it's time of transition, man. It is. It snowed yesterday, and now it's going to be 70 degrees today. So we wow. wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, man. You're you're almost describing Texas as well. I mean, we go from today it's 50 some degrees and kind of rainy, and tomorrow it's going to be 90 degrees. So it's it's a beautiful thing. You always got to learn how to adjust. So I feel you on that coach. Man. And look, it's, it's, it's a time of adapt or die right now. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. For sure. For sure. You can, I couldn't have said that any better. Now coach, I want to start off like I always do in that. Uh, how are you introduced to the game of basketball coming out of Gillette, Wyoming? You know, it's funny. Gillette, Wyoming is a, if you're from Wyoming, then you know how important basketball is yeah. to Gillette. And then if you're in that area as well, you know, that when I was, I was raised, there was one. There was one goal in, in the town of Gillette. That was to be a Campbell County High School Fighting Camel, wow. purple and gold. Was to rock the purple and gold. Right, in the 1990s, we won nine out of ten state championships in basketball. Wow! And so, as you grow up in Gillette, what you do is you go rebound. If you're if you're a young kid, if you're seventh grade Sundance, sixth grade Sundance, eighth grade Sundance, you're going to go in the back gym of Campbell County High School. And you're going to go rebound for the Camels before their before the game. So the JV game would be going on. If you go in the back gym, and I'd go rebound for Rory Williams or or Mike Marceau or Brian Marceau, and you go rebound for them, and you just and Brian Bannister, Quentin McBride, and you go out there and you go rebound for these guys, and then you'd watch them go play. And all and, and we packed the gym. It was called the Castle of Chaos. We packed the gym every night, two thousand twenty five hundred strong every single night. Best show in town. Wow. And and you grew up just wanting to be a Camel. And so you're introduced to the game of basketball for the first time, you know, you start playing, you don't really understand it in fourth or third grade when your dad's coaching at old YMCA league. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older, you start going to the rec center. Yeah. And, and the rec center is where all the players went back in the day. So we went to the rec center and you just go find open runs. And as a young kid, my dad would, gave me two choices. He said, you can either go to the rec center or you can go work with me. My dad owned a painting company called Markwood's Painting. And you can go paint all day. He goes, if you come paint all day, I'll, you know, I'll, give, you a, I'll give you an honest wage. So he said, I'll give you an honest wage. And you come, you come work for Marcus Painting. Or I can drop you off the rec center. And uh, I'll give you a buck fifty. And at the time, you could get a subway, a six-inch Subway meatball sandwich for a buck fifty and you get a glass of water. Nice. So, yeah, six, yeah, that was back in the day, man. You get a six-inch yeah. sub meatball sub for a buck fifty. It was a big deal, man. There you go. And so the first time my dad asked me that, I was, I was, I was about sixth, seventh grade. I said, you know what? I'm going to go work. I want to make some money. There you go. Yeah. And, and uh, so I went out and he had me, he had me scrape the bottom baseboard of the house all the way around all day long. So I, I, he gave me my first job was yeah. scraping. I got to scrape the paint off so we could find it. Yeah. Scrape the paint off of the baseboard. So well, what's for lunch, dad? I'm starving. He hands me a tuna sandwich and I hate tuna sandwiches. Man. He hands <laughs> me a tuna sandwich because my dad could, my dad could go all day without eating. Yeah. And, and so he hands me a tuna sandwich. I eat probably a quarter of that. I'm just, I'm frustrated at the time. I go the rest of the day. But we go home that night. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get excited. I'm about to get paid right now. I'm about to get my first real, real paycheck. And uh, he, he, hands, he hands me a buck fifty. Oh, man. He says, here's your first honest wage. And from that point on, I decided I was going to go to the rec center every single day. I would get my <laughs> buck fifty. I'd go to the rec center. Yeah. And as you go, when you go to the rec center, you, you, you see all the other camel basketball players. I started getting there early in the morning and watching guys do crazy workouts. And that's where I learned the art of skill development was early mornings in the rec center in Gillette, Wyoming. Yeah. And so then, like you said, where, so why were you introduced to basketball? It was all the way from my youth, all the way up until you became a camel when you were a sophomore. And then when I started playing varsity as a sophomore, wearing the purple and gold. I mean, that's your first love is learning how to play 
and become a Gillette Campbell. Wow. That's that's an amazing story, Coach. I think your dad tried to teach you a lesson, and, and it you know, successfully he taught you a lesson, kind of like my dad was. He was like, I don't want you doing this or that. I want you to focus, like right now, your youth, focus on sports, God, and uh, you know, being a musician. That was it. He only asked those three. He only asked those three things of us. If we would have got caught up wanting money and trying to get money, that might have taken us to a different route, you know. But uh, yeah. not that there's anything wrong with that, believe me. But at that age, so formative, and uh, man, you learned that lesson. That's good. But you were willing to do it. That's that's kind of like we're about the same age. So when I think about me at that age, I'd have probably said, "Yeah, I want to go make some money." But then I would have said, "What do I value more?" You know, yeah. that, what, what, what am I going to have fun doing? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have fun scraping a baseboard my entire life. Now, yeah. I'll tell you this: growing up with a painter, you you end up you have a, you have a skill and a, and a trait that that you can use for the rest of your life. Like we at our house here, we painted all the rooms. And uh, at yeah. the college job, I worked for Pat Hurley's painting in, in Aberdeen, South Dakota. So my summer job was making good money in the summer being a painter. So yeah. that that was a valuable lesson taught by my old man to, to, to the value of a little elbow grease and manual labor. Yeah, and no, I'm sure your wife appreciates that. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I cut I cut yards in the summertime from when I was like 13 till I got out of high school, and so my wife now is like, "Hey, you did this you did this for a good minute. Why don't you uh, get out there and have that same you know motivation?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's a little different now, but okay, you know." So yeah, it's uh it's it benefits us to to learn that work ethic young, and because uh, I know a lot of guys, man, they didn't they didn't touch anything but a wooden floor. To you know, all their life. And that, that's that's good and good for you. But uh, wasn't my route either. But coach, I would ask you this about your playing experience. I know some people have good careers, bad careers, and they have a great time even in the bad career. How was your experience as a player coming out from high school and then into college? Well, I think I was really blessed. I was blessed with a lot of coaches growing up. I can I can literally remember every single coach I've had for my entire years. My dad was my first coach, and then. In Gillette, we had a traveling team called the Gillette Bulls, and Monty Wilkins was, was my next coach. And Monty Wilkins had a son named Luke. Luke Wilkins was my point guard all through junior high and high school. Um, he's one of the best point guards I've ever played with. And so then Monty Wilkins transitioned me, and that was my, my real formative years, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And in seventh grade, I got to, coach, I got to play for uh, Gary Seneff at Twin Spruce Junior High. That transitioned into Harlan Holty for my eighth grade coach into Jim Henshaw, who I, I was my first real mentor as a coach. He was a coach that I, that's where I learned how to care off the court. Yeah. Um, you grow up and, you know, there's a lot of people investing in your life, but then you get to a guy who demands excellence of you, Jim Henshaw, you should write on the board. And then we got ready to play SSDD and you can do the math, same stuff, different day uh, with a little different adjective in it. <laughs> and right. And, and so coach Henshaw was the first coach to ever, you know, kind of ask me about my life, how it was growing up, took me fishing, um, and, and, and those things, I was like, man, this guy really cares. And, and, and because of that, I learned that I played a lot harder for that guy than a lot of other coaches. Yeah. And, and cause it was the carrying off the court that really mattered to coach Henshaw. And so then you transition to high school. And I guess I was really fortunate to play for a lot of great coaches. And Mike Curry is the all time winningest coach in Wyoming, Wyoming basketball history. And I get to play for coach Curry as a sophomore, uh, and his assistants on varsity were Roger Larson and Tori Gunderson. And that staff, that three-man staff right there, really, really taught me about the details of the game. Coach Curry was just a massive fundamental man. And I think that really helped me in college prepare and play for Coach Meyer. Yeah. Now, I didn't, I didn't commit to Coach Meyer. I committed to Bob Olson and Paul Sather. Yeah. And so I can, I can kind of empathize with a lot of players who maybe committed to play for a different coach or went through a coaching change or something. I've, I've been through that process before. Yeah. And so when Bob Olson called me and told me that Coach Meyer was going to be uh, the new coach, and I, I just I said, man, I wanted to play for you, Oli. That was the guy I committed to. That's who I wanted to, you know, I really wanted to play for you. They had just went to the Elite Eight. Northern State had just went to the Elite Eight. They said, Sonnet, I promise you're going to love this man. And this guy, is, is, his resume is way better than mine. He's off the charts. So his references were John Wooden, Rick Majerus, Coach K, Pat Summit. And I'm calling, and I'm calling BS. <laughs> right, because I'm, I'm like, I'm like, why is this guy in Aberdeen, South Dakota? Yeah, why is, yeah, why did, he, why did he show up here? I mean, yeah. what's 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 wrong? What's wrong with this guy? Yeah, um, like like all kids do nowadays, they fact check you and they want to make sure you know they don't think anything's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and and it was it was one of the single biggest blessings of my life was to play for Coach Meyer. Yeah, and so you're talking about playing for Coach Curry, 
been in the coach Meyer and, and you talk about your playing experience. Um, I, I, I always think that we have, we have illusions of delusions of grandeur thinking that playing basketball at the college level is just glitz and glamorous. And it's going to be the stuff you see on TV all the time. And we all, you know, you grow up watching it on television and you just think that's what it's supposed to be like. And you don't, and you don't realize until you get into it, the program shock that you're supposed to have when you go into great programs. Yeah. And, and, and that's part of being a part of a great program is having program or culture shock when you go into a program. Yeah. And when I went into, when I went into Northern state, I remember walking out of my first open gym and we had about five guys in the roster. It was a huge roster back in the day, a bunch of big farm kids, South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota kids. A roster was about five guys over six foot nine. Every single guard on the roster was over six foot three, except for one, Matt Severide. And Matt Severide was one of the toughest guys I've ever been around. And so I came out of the first open gym when I got on campus and in the uh, fall of 1999. And I said, I can't play here. That was the first thing I said. I said, I, said, I can't play here. There's yeah. no way. These guys are too good. Huh. And what you find out is, because people have talent, that doesn't mean they're equipped to handle the load. Yeah. And I played with a lot of guys. Coach Meyer demanded a lot of you, not physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. There's a lot of players that aren't equipped to handle the load. Not the, not the playing basketball part, but the load, the mental load, the emotional load, the spiritual load, all right, the physical load. And I learned, I learned that I was a lot tougher than I gave myself credit for. Yeah. I started every, started every single game of my college career it wasn't easy. My first two years in the transition, you know, I'd signed with a program that had just went to the elite eight Yeah. and, and in the coaching change, coach Meyer was implementing his culture, his strategy, his tactics. And we, we had a lot of attrition when we, we were under 500, my first, both my first two years. And then going into my junior year, there's a story that coach told me when I became a graduate assistant. <laughs> and, um, it's funny. He told me, he told me that uh, someone came up to him after a bunch of players left the program and said, you know, we're, he goes, we're thinking about playing Sundance at the four spot, but I'm six foot four average white guy. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, and, and the guy says to him, he goes, I'm going to tell you this right now, coach, you're never going to win a conference championship with Sundance Wicks playing the four, not in this league. It's too big. Wow. He's not, he's not big enough. He's not tough enough to play the four spot. And uh, coach came up to me during my players. I never remember that. He came up to me in my playing years and said, you know, Sonny, I, we're going to move you to the four spot. I said, coach, whatever you need, man, whatever you want for this program, I'll do it. You know that. And he goes, yeah, well, there are a lot of people out there thinking that you can't play the four, that you're not tough enough. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> so, he, so he tells you that, right? Yeah. And I'm like, this is a, all right. So you're going to play on a kid's, a little bit of a, of a kid's competitive nature. Am I competitive yeah. or not? Am I going to, am I going to take this? Or am I just going to, am I just going to will and think that coach doesn't believe me? Or am I going to, like I said, handle the load, yeah. the mental load, the emotional load. All right. Got it. Get in the weight room. Get your weight up, all right? Get your weight up. Get your, get, make sure you're different than everybody else in the four spot. Be more mobile, shoot better, do all those things. Yeah. So I became a trailer trailer four, and we ended up winning back-to-back conference championships in uh, nice. 2000, 2001, and 02, and they were the first conference championships that Northern State had won. Or they were the last conference championships that Northern State had won until I uh, went back there as an assistant with Paul Sather, and, and we won that conference championship and made that run to the national, national championship. So it was a long span between that. So my playing years um, were not easy by any means, yeah. but taught me a lot of valuable lessons about what it's like to maybe be a little bit, um, I guess I would say, just have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder and, yeah. and, and to, be, to be told maybe you're not good enough and to be, that's okay. That's okay to be told that people don't think you're good enough. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? How yeah. are you going to respond? Are you going to be a man? Are you going to buck up? Are you going to, are you going to will like a little baby willow? All right. <laughs> and fall to the wayside because yeah. you're worried about what people think about you. Change, yeah. change the narrative, write your own story. Wow. Coach, you're saying something right there that kind of exposes, you know, everybody thinks of Phil Jackson as this, uh, which he probably was. And, and by all accounts is this great uh, mind controlling type coach. But we have, you can have somebody like Don Meyer kind of getting in your head like that. Uh, I have to know, I have to believe for sure with all my heart that he knew what he was doing when he let that information out on your plate. And just said, <laughs> what are you going to do with this? Are you going to eat it up? Or are you just going to leave it there, cry about it like you said and willow away? Like, man, that's tough. That's tough because I don't know anybody who's a competitor, like you talked about that chip, 
man, that's that's gold. That's like, let's do this, man. Like, you, I'll show you. It's easy for guys. I don't say it's easy, but I think it's a little easier for guys in the NBA to talk about, oh, I was counted out. Well, yeah, because now you're you, you you're there. You're in the you're at the big time. So yeah, you can talk about that with a little bit with a little bit more bravado. But you're in you're a college kid, you know, and your coach tells you something like that, man. That can that's I mean those years are so formative, and you could either be crushed like you said, not handle the load, or you know thrive and get to work. So I, I think that's that's advantageous for players, coaches to really key into is like. If your AD comes and tells you, hey, they're talking about me letting you go, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Are you just going to react and get mad or get puffy and sad? And, yeah. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's a great story, Coach. I'm glad you shared that because that really is something for all of us to kind of key in on. Because, uh, yeah, we know players. We know players, they either respond or they curl up and, you know, but we could do the same thing as coaches. We're no different. It's, it's the human, human nature there's a lot of real stuff that happens in life, right? There's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a lot of fake stuff that's put out there on social media nowadays, but the real stuff that happens in life is there is a point where you have to drink from the cup of criticism. You have to eat some humble pie where yeah. you're not good enough. You're not ready. You're, you're not what you or what others maybe write about you and say you are. Cause yeah. at the end of the day, you have to look yourself in the mirror and, and be really honest with yourself. Are you, are you as good as people write about you? Yeah. Are you tough enough? Are, or is it just a bunch of over gassed hype? And I think that that, that turning point for everybody comes down to when you're really coach Meyer used to always say this line. I love this line. When, when the pupil is ready, the teacher will appear. When you are ready to be taught, when you are ready to be, when you are ready to learn, when you are ready to gain knowledge, when you are ready to become a better player, a better person, guess what? All, 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 all the information and knowledge you need is out there. So when you're ready to be taught, when you are open to receive instruction, right? The teacher is always going to be there for you. That's why, that's why there's always coaches. That's why there's always bosses. That's why there's always, you know, CEOs. There's always somebody out there, mentors, leaders, ready to teach and ready to give freely what they have learned in their experiences. Yeah. But until that pupil is ready to absorb that or take that, uh, it, it's, it's just an exercise in futility. Yeah. I saw a quote this morning that said, if they haven't learned, you haven't taught. And that <laughs> kind of just goes hand in hand with that mindset coach. And I, I do appreciate you sharing that because that is that's more profound than I think most of us sometimes are willing to handle because we want to think we're giving out everything we have, emptying ourselves in every setting and every practice that we're in. However, uh, I think we need a little, we need more wisdom than knowledge sometimes. And so, yeah, so, so many times we wait for as coaches we wait for the players to come to us, right? Yeah. You know, and I, I think that it's twofold here. But Coach Meyer used to always call it the teachable moment. Yeah. You have to, as a teacher, as a mentor, as a leader, you have to search out the teachable moment. You have to know when that pupil, that student, that player is ready to learn. You have to know when they're most receptive. And a lot of times they're most receptive uh, when they have been humbled a little bit yeah. and, and maybe their emotional receptors a little bit more open. Yeah. And we're all, you know, sometimes we, we get a little bit too arrogant and egotistical in this profession think that we know it all. And, you know, uh, well, that kid will come to me. Or they'll, they'll, they'll come into my office and, and, and they'll ask me questions. And they'll be, no, man, look, let, let's just take a step back here and understand what we're really trying to do. Yeah. We have to make sure that we are seeking out these young men and women and really providing, all right, providing a, a, a caring platform for them to come into and also to reach out to uh, and to bridge that gap. And I'll, I've always said this, if you want to be a bridge to success, you better be prepared to be walked on. Whoa. Because if you want to help other yeah. people get to a place that's different, you better. And if you want to be that bridge, then just be prepared to be walked on. That's part of our responsibility and gifts as coaches is is to be a bridge for people, is to help them fulfill their dreams, and to help them get to a place that they don't know how to get to themselves. And that's what being a bridge is all about. For sure, coach. And some of those bumps and bruises that you take along the way, they build moments and memories in time that uh, that an other individual won't forget either. And that's what bonds you. It's weird. Yeah. I completely understand what you're saying. All the years I've been coaching, uh, some of the most heart-to-heart -heart moments were in times where uh, I think one of my players was probably trying to tell me something that he didn't like about me or was maybe trying to tell me off. And, you know, <laughs> if you don't have that uh, intelligent, you know, kind of approach to it and it's just all about, you know, my, you know, being macho and tough, like this kid ain't going to talk to me like that. If you can, if you can, like you said, pursue them. Just the way you pursued yeah. them in recruiting, pursue them to the degree that you have that emotional intelligence to say, nope, we're going to take it this route. You want it, 
you want to go this way? Okay, I, I see you. I have the bridge out. You're walking on me. You're walking a little harder than I thought you would. Uh, <laughs> but let's turn this around. So, yeah, no, great stuff, Coach. I really do appreciate you saying those things because, yeah, no, the bridge to success, you know, you'd be prepared to be walked on. I like that, man. So I, I, I'm here again. I'm just guessing because you said a lot of – you named off a bunch of coaches and in, in particular Coach Meyer – uh, so would you say he was the main influence, your high school coaches, your college coaches? Who influenced I mean, you going to the, the profession? I think it's a cumulative effect, right? Yeah. If, if I wouldn't have had these great men in my life uh, growing up and being around them and seeing the impact they had on me, <laughs> like it's just funny what you remember, you know, these, yeah. these blink moments that you have in your life that, that – you know, my grandma, my grandma and grandpa lived in Rapid City, South Dakota. And being from Gillette, Wyoming, there was a tournament we always went to in Rapid City. And when we were playing for the Gillette Bulls, I remember playing at Meadowbrook Elementary School down in Rapid City, just a, just a little small elementary school in the same neighborhood that my grandma and grandpa lived. And we were playing the tournament there. And I remember making this half-court shot at the buzzer to win the game. And Monty Wilkins, you know, my, my, my Gillette Bulls traveling team coach, like sprinting out to half court and just grabbing me and hugging me like we had just won the national championship. Yeah. And we're sitting in Meadowbrook Elementary School in Rapid City, South Dakota. Right. Like I remember yeah. those things. And so I'm sitting there going, like, how can I feel? Like I still get goosebumps thinking about it. How can I feel this way about a ball going through a net? Yeah. Yeah. And how can I feel this way about a man, you know, sacrificing his weekends? you know, for me to help, help a bunch of young, young boys from Gillette, Wyoming grow up and, and become Campbell basketball players. Yeah. And, and it's those moments that you go through when, you know, how do you feel a certain way about Jim Henshaw when he decides that, you know, maybe it's not all going so well for him. You're going through a little stuff as a ninth grader and he takes you over to Buffalo, Wyoming to Lake DeSmith and helps and you go catch trout, you know, at 5 a.m. in the morning, yeah. you know, and, and just wow. talk about life, yeah. uh, you know. And then going and going through it with uh, the long bus ride that you have in Wyoming with Coach Curry and you know Coach Gunderson and Coach Larson, you know why why did these guys sacrifice so much of what they what they could have done, you know? And there's a lot of people that can go make a lot of money and do a lot of things and have you know a very very small impact on everybody else lives around them. And when you're a coach, man, there's a ripple effect that happens. Yeah, for sure. It's it's, it's something that you you just like you 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 have. There's it's such a it's such a privilege to be able to go out there and coach at any level and to impact a kid at any level that you can watch these kids throughout the course of life grow up and do great things. And you're like, man, I was a small, I was a small part in that person's life. Yeah. And Sherry, Cole, Sherry Cole always said this when it came to coaching, you know, never underestimate your potential impact. Yeah. And she said, she said potential because very rarely is the impact felt in coaching right away. Yeah. For the, sure. kid, uh, the kids usually don't get it. Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. Yeah. And if they do, if they do get it, they're special and it's different, but they usually get it when they had their first child, when they got their first job, when they got fired from their first job, they usually get it when, Hey Larry, how you doing? That's just the neighbor. Larry, Larry's a good man. <laughs> they, they, they usually get it when, when something goes on in their life. They're like, this is what coach was talking about. And yeah. that's why coach Meyer had in his office, his, his favorite thing was the thanks for being tough on me plaque that he had from all of his former players that just wrote him letters and said, thanks for being tough on me because this happened in my life. And without you being tough on me, I wouldn't have been able to handle this. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, coach. No, no. I was just going to say that's just, that's that, that all of that, you know, as you, as you would grow up through, through basketball and through sports and athletics is when you're, when you're a young kid and you're, it's 2000, it's, it's 2001 and you're sitting there getting your international business degree program. And I'm sitting there going, why am I getting an international business degree? Like, what am I doing right now? Like, I do not want to know about foreign exchange policy. Like, I just don't, like, I don't, I don't want to know the international trade rate right now. Like, so, yeah, yeah. And, I'm sitting, and I'm sitting here going, but what I do love is I do love running camp. I love working camp. I love being around kids. I love, I love, I love teaching the game of basketball. And, so I got into coaching because I was playing over in Sweden with Coach Torby and Gedeke for the Senatelia Kings. And I was listening to my teammates, Steve Smiley and all those guys, win their first conference tournament championship at 3 a.m. over in Sweden. And I called, uh, Steve called me from my cell. He came out of the locker room, they're celebrating. He called me, he's like, Sonny, we, it was our first ever conference tournament championship that we won in the NSIC. He's like, Sonny, we won it, we did it, boy. Like, all jacked up. Smiley, now the new head coach in Northern Colorado. That's my guy, like best friend. That's my dude. Yeah, yeah. And so he's calling me. All of a sudden, Coach Meyer grabs the phone from me. He goes, Sonny, coach. I was like, hey, what's up, coach? He's like, 
I mean, listen, um, let me tell you something. You probably need to come back and start coaching. You're not going to be a very good professional basketball player. I'm going to tell you that right now. You're, you're not going to make enough money, you know, playing over there in Sweden. And I was only making about $1,800 a month. So it wasn't yeah. like I was out raking in the dough, right? Goes, yeah. So you're probably going to be a better coach than you ever will a professional basketball player. So you just need to get your butt back here and become a graduate assistant for us again. Okay, here, Steve. And that's how <laughs> coach talked. And he was always to the point, and he, he didn't worry about, you know, how you felt in that moment. <laughs> he, just, yeah. he, he just knew what was best for you, and as players that played for him, you trusted him. Yeah. And so I trusted him, and I came back and became a graduate assistant and learned what it was like on the other side, all right, of the basketball. And, and it, was, it, was the most, it was the most impactful two years that you could possibly have to get yourself ready for a lifetime of what is ups and downs, trials and tribulations. And, and this profession is not easy. Yeah. No, you said a mouthful right there with just saying that. Now, you talk about Coach Meyer, that whole story. I've read that somewhere. And, uh, and when he first met you, he, he, he said, hey, what kind of name is Sundance? Like, very matter of fact, you know what I mean? Like, not pulling any punches. We want to we wanna know. We need to know. We need to know right now. Let's cut to the chase. So, yeah, that's good stuff, man. Like, to have – somebody of that caliber to say, Hey, here's what, here's what I know you need to do. Not what I think you need to do. Here's what I know you need to do. And to have that relationship, that respect and that honor to say, yeah, you know what? You're right. And kind of follow that. Uh, something that was already in your heart. I'm sure. Uh, to well, if you think about it, and this is what I love about this profession is how many times are people that you've coached before calling you and asking you for advice? Yeah. And they're not, they're not in the coaching profession, right? Yeah. They're just, they're in the real world and they're calling their coach. So I love that. I love the, I love the word coach. I love when somebody calls and says, Hey coach, yeah. I got, I need your advice. Yeah. You know, why are you calling coach? Because coach spent sleepless nights, early mornings, all those extra hours with you, helping yeah. you try to achieve a dream or win a championship or become a, a tougher kid or, you know, to help you get your degree. They spent all these time, these hours with you that now they're calling you saying, this is a guy that knows a lot about me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, 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 it's super, it's so rewarding. It's, it's unbelievably rewarding. No doubt coach. Like that's uh, you, you hit the nail right on the head. And I think everybody listening, when you hear that word coach, don't take it lightly. Uh, take it, you know, when I'm at a Walmart or when I'm somewhere, wherever, not lately, but you know, with the mask on and everything, <laughs> but uh, when I'm at, you know, just out and about and I'm with my family and says, Hey coach, man, I turn around, even if they're not talking to me, but you know, that whole, that's like, you might as well be saying, you know, King something, you know, or, you know, that, that, de that degree of honor that comes with it is, uh, like you said, it's just, you can't replace it. And it means so much to so many. So yeah, that's great. Coach. I'm glad you said that. Cause I, I, I don't know. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it in a while, but yeah, it, it does make me feel good when I hear that from my former players. Now we're talking about coach Meyer again and, and, you know, just a legendary coach. Uh, a guy who'd been through a lot too physically and, and just emotionally, I'm sure, you know, by virtue of all that. And I, I think what kind of impact would I have had just hearing about him? You know, I've heard from so many coaches about coach Meyer, you know, and I heard about the impact he's had on them. What kind of impact has he had on you and your career coach? Well, I mean, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without him. There's no question about that. I mean, that's, so that's, I think probably the greatest testament you can give to anybody is, they're single-handedly responsible for your, your entire coaching career. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just 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 for just from the fact of if I don't meet coach, if I don't play for coach, if I'm not around coach, then I I have no idea what it means to actually coach to be a coach. Yeah, like he was they what they called Coach Meyer was the coach's coach. Yeah, he was the guy who ran the camps, who ran the clinics, who ran the coaching academies for everybody to share the game and to spread the game and to be a guardian of the game. Uh, and it's, to me, it's tough because, and I know my man, Jerry Krause, I just watched that, the Kenny Saylor's doc documentary last night, uh, you know, about, about the, the invention of the jump shot, you know, and yeah. how, how history can just be lost. You can lose people's stories, yeah. um, you know, and, and people, when they're, when they're gone from you, a lot of times you can lose their story. And, and the one thing about coach Myers, there's so many people out there that are so thankful and grateful for him that they're never going to lose his story yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because, because he, he was so important and so impactful to so many people on so many different levels, Mike, 
high school, junior high, middle school, college, high major, low major, mid major, D2, D3, NAI, doesn't matter. He was the coach's coach. Yeah. And he, he was where you went to gain knowledge, not just from him, but because he shared, he shared the game's wealth with everybody. And, 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 and he knew like he was going to give away every single thing he had in his program because you know what? That's how you grow the game. Yeah. That's how you get, that's how you give to something that has given you so much. Yeah. And, and I just wish there was more coaches out there that thought along the lines of let's just give more than we take. Let's, let's start giving back to the game in a way, in a manner that is, that, 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 that it deserves because we, we take so much from it on a daily basis. And it is a selfish profession that we talk about when it comes to families and how much time we're away from them. And you know, what we really think is important. And I'm going to tell you, man, I say yes a lot, but I've said no a lot during this, during this COVID-19 stuff. Yeah. I've said no, because I get a chance now to spend a lot of time with baby Grace and my fiance Courtney. Yeah. And I, I don't need to do interviews or need to, I don't need to do a lot of these things. Cause I just, I want to spend time with my family when I can. Yeah. And I want to say no to this stuff right now so I can be more impactful for the people that really mean the most to me. You know, and, and, yeah, you, and that's you, huge. No, coach, I'm sorry to cut you off, but your no sets up your yes too. Uh, yeah. It gives, it gives your yes a lot more uh, meaning because you see, you say yes to everything. Everybody's like, yeah, just ask him. He'll say yes. Uh, kind of like a pawn, if you will. Like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But sometimes your no carries a lot of weight. For your yes, and I just think that's that's really important because you don't have well, to my, you don't have to do it. Yeah, my no has carried a lot of weight with my family in these times. Yeah, and I, I always say that one of the rules of being a juice man is saying yes to opportunity. Yeah, and when people ask, I want to be there to give and to serve and to help. Um, when, when it's really required and needed, right? And right now, what's required and needed in all these times, I think people get lost in this. Is, is what's required and needed right now is you to be there with your family, you to yeah. make sure that you're protecting your family and looking out for, for the people that are most important to you. And, and to also make sure that we are helping and giving to the people that really need it out there in times of this crisis. Yeah. And basketball needs to take a back seat right now. It for does. Sure. I mean, it, it, to, 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 as far as I'm concerned, and that's what the decision makers have done a great job. I believe of just making sure that sports and athletics needs to take a back seat to, to a global crisis that is happening right now. Yeah. And, and, and then kudos to them because there's a lot of people out here that still are wishy-washy about it or think this and that. And at the end of the day, take this time that you get in this profession to be with your family and, yeah. and just cherish and just cherish it. Cause I, I told my staff before, I, before I left for Wyoming is that this may be the only time in your coaching profession that you will be able to do what you want with your wife, significant other kids. And, and you shouldn't feel guilty about it. Yeah. Cause you're, you're not required to be anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's a, it's an order <laughs> in a sense, yeah. like, no, nah, man, stay home, chill out, you know, relax. Don't, don't worry about nothing. Yeah. It's really one of those times to really reflect uh, when you, you remember kind of being in the hunt for the race, for the, for the ring, for the trophy in the conference. <laughs> and then you kept saying, I wish yeah. I had more time at home. Well, there you go. Yeah. You, yeah. your wish is granted now do something with it, make the most of it. So coach, I yeah, go ahead. It'll flip back soon enough. It'll flip yeah. back soon enough, man. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Before you know it, you'll be saying again, I wish I had more time with my family. But, yeah. 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 So, Coach, I would ask you because, here again, I always like to ask coaches about an experience in their first uh, year, the first time as a coach. Do you have any kind of defining moment of, of that kind of, hey, I, wow, I'm a coach now? Yeah, I mean, being a, being a graduate assistant for Coach Meyer was great, but I was still part of my program, right? So I, I was – I thought there's a lot of comfort that goes with being around a place that you played. And, and so it was really, I knew what to, the expectations were, Yeah. but the, the real, I think the real journey really, it really begins when um, Ricardo Patton is looking for a new assistant at university of Colorado. And he calls coach Meyer and coach Meyer says, I think Sundance Wicks would be really good for you. And having my first real interview at, at the Indianapolis final four in 2000, uh, 2005, six, 2006, yeah, 607, and um, 2005-06, and having my first real interview in a, in a Marriott with Coach Patton, and just knowing like how, how nervous and anxious I was to try to go win an interview, yeah. uh, to be a, to be a coach in the Big 12 at the time, and to sit down with Ricardo, who who at the time at Colorado man had just done amazing things, uh, 
taking them to their first NCAA tournament in 30 years. I mean, just, just flipped the entire program on its head. Uh, phenomenal. I learned so much about recruiting from Ricardo. Like he, he's, he's still to this day is how I draw my templates for how I branch out and recruit guys. Um, and just the way he was in, in, in one-on-ones and how he could, how he could capture a room. Ricardo's brilliant in that, in that, that aspect. And it was, it was, it was down in, um, it was at CU when it was basically like, welcome to coaching. This is what it is. Welcome to this level. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this story. It's, it's funny. I was, I think before we got on here, we're talking about, you know, just Russell Springman and, and, and he was at the university of Texas. Kevin yeah. Durant was a freshman in the big 12 at the time. My first big 12 scout report was against the university of Texas. Whoa. A, AJ Abrams, Damian James, Kevin Durant, <laughs> yeah. DJ Augustine. Yeah. I mean, Pros. like, like, yeah, some dudes, just some straight up fellas. Right. Yeah. And, and, we're trying to figure out who we're going to put on Kevin Durant. At the time, KD was—he was a really good basketball player, but he hadn't—he's not—he wasn't stratospheric KD yet, right? Yeah. And he hadn't played in the Big Twelve, so everyone's like, "Well, how's KD going to do in the Big 12? And how's he going to do coming up to Colorado and at, you know, elevation above sea <laughs> level? And really, you know, how's he going to—how's his oxygen going to be? Yeah. And it was, I remember it was, it was a one o'clock or a, new, a one o'clock tip-off there um, against against Texas. And as a young coach, to come coach Myers program. Our shoot around was at eight, and as we're walking out, Texas is walking in. I, I don't know if Russell Springman even remembers this, but I, I went up to him and I just asked him. I just said, "Hey, uh, you know, I, I don't know what you guys do for shoot around, but I mean, I'd lo- love to learn if there's a, just how dumb and naive I was. I, if, if you'd let me like watch around, watch, or I'd love to learn." And he goes, "Oh, we're just going to shoot. Yeah, it's this early, man. We're just going to shoot. We're just going to get some shots up." And he's like, "Just don't, you know, don't make any noise." So <laughs> I went up. I went up to the rafters and, uh, you know, all they did was basically about 45 minutes shooting workout, went through some shots and then everybody hopped on the bus and was getting ready to leave except Kevin Durant and KD stayed back and KD stayed back and got a workout in and he got a butt kicking workout in with air dummies, pads, all this stuff. I mean, it was brutal. And, and I mean, this was going for about an hour, another hour or so, hour and a half. And this is, this is on top of a shoot round. Yeah, and I'm I'm up here. I'm like, this is this is insane. They're like, this is good for us. KD's not gonna be ready to go. He's gonna be exhausted. <laughs> and, and, and so as we're walking through the through the hallways back there in, in Coors Event Center, uh, past KD in the hallway, and these blink moments we're talking about. I said, Hey, KD, I, I gotta ask you a question. I said, hey, Kevin, Sundance Wicks is the coach of Colorado. I ask you a question. Or, you know, I was trying to play a little mind game on him. I said, Aren't you gonna be a little tired after all that workout you just put in? I was like, I'm like, I got him, I got him, I got, him. I got Kevin Durant, and uh, he looks at me and kind of gives me one of those old chummy pats on the back. He says, "Coach, no offense, I'm not getting ready for Colorado." Oh wow! And he and he just walked right by me. Wow! And I I had this like sick feeling in my stomach, like <laughs> what what just happened right what there? Did you just activate? <laughs> and, and and what I had learned in that in that moment right there was that what Kevin Durant was doing was there's a lot of players that go through a shoot around. There's a lot of players that go and put in the work. There's not a lot of players that put in the work for something that's going to happen a year from now, two years from now, three years. They're not going to chop that wood. They're not going to prepare for that long winter. Yeah. And KD was chopping wood to become a pro because he was going to get drafted and he was going to be one of the best to ever play the game. And so playing against Colorado is Mickey Mouse compared to going in the NBA and playing against the best in the world. So he had oh, to man. get ready to go play against the best in the world. Yeah. And so what had happened is that, that afternoon he comes out and in and, and like the first three or four possessions, he comes down, and on fast break, he comes out. I think he hits a layup, right? He gets a he gets a tip, steal, and then he shoots a, a he gets a point in the post. He does a little fadeaway off the glass from about fifteen feet, and he comes down in transition and buries a three, three straight possessions. And then he's backpedaling by the bench. He's high stepping behind the bench, kind of looks over at me, and he goes, "Whoa, baby!" <laughs> and and like he ha- he, just, he just had it going, right? Yeah, like so, yeah. here's this guy that just puts in this insane amount of work coming up into Coors Event Center and just has it going, and that's a monster. That's yeah. what I learned. Like, that's the level. Like, people talk about, tweet about, whatever, text about wanting to be a dude. That dude put in work to become a dude. Yeah. And, wow. and so everybody that's out there, like, it, it just – I just don't believe it when I watch players talk about it all the time. Yeah. I've seen yeah. it. I saw a guy, yeah. the best in the world, do what is required to be the best. Yeah. And I know how hard it is. Wow. So it's, it's, it, that was the defining moment for me that I knew getting into this, that there are levels to this crap. Oh, There's sure. levels to this, Mike. Yeah. And, 
and and people want to talk. They don't they don't quite know it, man. But people that have seen it and been around it, like that's where that's the value of that frame of reference. When somebody can speak on something they've been around or been a part of, yeah, that's where players or young coaches or anybody for that matter should just want to dive in and learn from those guys that have been around greatness. I love listening to Phil Beckner yeah. because he's been around because because he's helped and been around Damian Lillard's journey yeah. his entire time. I love I love being around Coach Linder. Because Coach Linder talks about all those things that he has done to help create success for others and how he can help a player become a winner in the margins, in the small details. Yeah. Uh, it, it's those guys. It's, 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 why you, it's why you love being around the game. Wow. Yeah, no, man, that, that story right there just tells you everything you need to know about, you know, how to think forward to a degree. To be in the moment, obviously. But uh, I think we, as coaches, we always like to think that we make practices harder than games. Uh, but when you can find a player that wants to make his workouts harder than games or going into a game, pushing himself to that degree and having that foresight to say, yeah, no, I'm going I'm to play this. You know, we, we, yeah, we're going to play you later. That's kind of like a scrimmage. And, uh, <laughs> and then I'm going to get ready to go to you know, somebody league me right now. I'm about to move up. And uh, nice meeting you, by you know, that's crazy. It's, yeah, crazy. It's sickening. It's sickening feeling when you know you got to go up against that. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I mean that. I remember that team really well. I mean, being down the street here from Austin, and uh, yeah, an amazing team. Uh, but yeah, that was that was that was a very very good story, man. Like I'm I'm still kind of stuck in the moment. I'm I picture myself in the hallway with you, just standing there, like, what the hell did he just? Oh yeah. What did he just do to us, man? Like you just, was, you're messing like with this, us. It's crazy. I was like this Kevin Durant story too. They they asked at the, at the combine why Kevin Durant couldn't bench 135, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so they, so, so they asked him at the combine if that was going to hurt his hurt his chances if he's going to hurt him in the NBA. He goes, well, I guess it would hurt my chances if they put a bench press in half court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no it's joke. The, it's the real it's the real applicable nature of the game. Like what matters, what doesn't, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yes, yeah. Str- strength matters, but the will to win, the work ethic, the desire, like all those things, those things are, are, are vastly more important than a guy probably being able to bench, you know, how many times you can do 185 or 135. Yeah, no, for sure. No, that was, that was, there again, I'm still kind of trying to process that whole thing because it's, it's rare that you come across people who are really willing to work that hard, like you said, to be the guy. If you want to be the guy, you got to work like the guy, and I'll work the next guy. So, so, Coach, I would ask you, you know, you work a lot with young people and, you know, even where you when you were, you know, GA as a young person as well. Uh, what excites you about working with young people overall? Well, I think what, what, excite, what, what excites me is, is just watching the process unfold. Yeah. Right. And everybody, everybody talks about, you know, well, what's the blueprint or how did you do this or how did this get? No, the, the, the blueprint is this. Get your butt in the gym. Get with somebody who knows what they're doing, yeah. and then and then grind, grind, grind. Do not pick your head up. Do not pick your head up. Just keep grinding because the minute you pick your head up and start relaxing and start talking about it too much, right, is when you get past. I always say there's an there's an invisible opponent out there, and that's the that's the one that should scare the crap out of you. The yeah. person that you can't see. There's a coach out there trying to get the next coaching job that's trying to be better than you. There's a player out there trying to get your spot that you don't even know about. So just stop with all the crap. Stop with all the fluff and stuff. And just get after it. Yeah. And for me, what I love is when you find that player, you find, a, or, or the light comes on, right? The, the the trigger flips for the guy or the kid that they said, you know what, coach, I'm I'm about it now. Like I'm not just yeah. I'm not just talking about it, I'm about it. And when they start waking up with you, I never forget Xavier Silas, man. Xavier Silas is one of my guys. He played yeah. Northern Illinois, Colorado for us. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget X because X was that guy when that trigger flipped. He turned himself into a pro because he. We got up every morning at five a.m., six a.m., and did the little things: tennis ball puzzles and shooting progression, and just straight up mechanical work, technical work to ad nauseum. We shot so many shots one summer um, that he uh, that he got a stress fracture in his wrist because he shot so many shots. I mean, that's wow. and so that's what. So for me as a coach, like that's what you're like. Okay. We did, we did, we we overdid it, yeah. and now, because there, there's a point that where you have to get just to get a certain level of skill, you have to rep, 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 rep. Yeah. But then that skill needs to become efficient, right? Yeah. And so it, it's the model of efficiency. It's not doing, it's not doing 500 reps 
right? It's not saying, oh, I got to shoot 500 shots. It's saying, I have to make Eight, 250 yeah. at this percentage. Wow. And if I can't do that, then I got to come back the next day and I got to make 250 at this. And I got to make, I got to make eight out of eight out of 10 from this spot, nine out of 10 from this spot. And I can't move until I get that mark. That's yeah. efficient now, yeah. not just getting quantity up, but quality reps. And so we transitioned after that stress fracture. You're like, we just knew that we couldn't, we couldn't load him so much. And then we became more efficient and next became one of the most efficient players in the country. Uh, his senior year at Northern Illinois in a class that was loaded with talent. That was Jimmer Fredette's year, Marshawn Brooks, Andrew Golot, like wow. those guys that were really scoring at a high level. X was one of the top, 10 scores in the country that year um, for us in North Illinois. And that's where we really learned about the model of efficiency. And that, that work that he put in as a freshman at CU at 5 a.m. all translated to that ability to become a senior now and put himself in a position to have a long professional basketball career. Played for a lot of teams, a lot of places. Um, was a journeyman. But doesn't doesn't get those opportunities if he doesn't start putting that work in really really at an early age. Yeah, and you talk about Xavier. He's a he's a San Antonio guy just like me, man. Yeah, Texas yeah. boy. So yeah, no, he yeah. he's uh, we you know around here everybody knows who he is. And you talk here again that work ethic. You talk about getting in the gym with with players. Uh, I think a lot of coaches like the idea of doing that, but then when it takes you know it get you you could say well that's boring. Mm. Maybe if you're not focused, and when you're not focused, anything's boring. I mean, watching a movie, watching your favorite movie's boring after the tenth, twelfth time, right? <laughs> but you're still gonna watch it because it's what you love to do. Uh, and I think that's the approach. I think right now during this time of kind of being away from our players and our programs, uh, we got to really figure out what is it that we love about what we do, and how we, and how we want to impact young people and the time we want to spend with them. Because if they're not around, we don't have a job, and so that's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty. I mean, not not a job in basketball. That we get a job somewhere else, but uh, you know what I mean. Like that's kind of the perspective we all need to have as coaches. Is you know, what are we willing to get in the gym and do and work and and just spend time? Because yeah, I mean, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, I, I really believe that. So you know, I talked brought up the crisis and kind of where we're at, the state of affairs we're at in the world, not just the country. And uh, I would ask you, Coach, how are you bringing the juice during this time? We, we bring it in different ways. And the juice is your spirit. When I talk about the juice and people, you know, they may misconstrue it a lot or, or just, you know, the juice is elusive as well. You know, what do you want your juice to be? We all have our own type of spiritual juice. Yeah. You know, it's something that surrounds you. And I always say, like, you don't have to, your juice doesn't have to be my juice. I, I'm a more outgoing, over gregarious guy. You don't have to be that way. You can have a quiet, killer confidence. It's an insane juice about you. Yeah. It's like, that's who you are. The juice is about being uniquely authentic. Yeah. When I say bring your own juice, that means bring your own authentic personality to the table yeah. every single day. Yeah. Bring who you are to the table every single day. Be consistently you. And that's all the world needs. And the world needs more of the real you. Yeah. And too many times, right, we want to have this different personality of who we are, who we are. You know, you ask one person who this person is, and they give you a different answer. Like, let's just start being real. Yeah. And when I say bring your own juice, man, be, be authentic. Be you. It's okay. Yeah. And not everybody has to like you. Not everybody has to drink your juice, man. That's okay. You're not for everybody. I tell people all the time, I am not for everybody. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. But at, the end, but at the end of the day, I want to give to everybody what I got, yeah. what I have. And what's uniquely mine and authentic is that personality that you were born with, that you were given with, that God, the gifts that God gave you, those are all yours. and They're unique and they're special. And you should, the world deserves to see them. The world deserves to have your best every single day. And so how I'm bringing the juice right now is I'm being an, I'm, I'm trying to be an awesome dad. I'm trying to be an awesome husband. Uh, I'm trying to bring juice to my family, man, to, because you got to get creative around here. Now we've done a lot of weird things in this house. You made up a lot of weird games. <laughs> With baby Grace, little monster, monster that's running around here, you know, as a one-year-old, that's off the charts. Yeah, you know, she. So we're we're coming up with a lot of creative ways, a lot, a lot of creative games around here these times. But that, and also just trying to help the University of Wyoming in my home state, recruiting-wise. Yeah. Um. And, and and I, what's cool about this is we're starting to get back to the art of real connection, which is face-to-face -face interaction with the people that you care and love about the most having real conversations and deep conversation with your loved ones and also talking to kids 
on the phone, talking to people on the phone, not just texting, but just because you have time to spend to connect. And that's the real, that's the real juice. The real, the real juice, the most important juice you have is that of connection. Yeah. Is that a true connection, Mike? Not just text message, hey, what's up? What, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? Let's make this transactional. Let's make it transformational. Let's yeah. make the connection transformational. Yeah. Let's let this experience change you like it changes me. Yeah. And start thinking along those lines of that. That's, that's what has happened for me in this period is there has been a resurgence of real connection with people that I've missed and that I've probably neglected in my life. And, wow. and that's my, and that's my fault, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. It, it, but, the, but these times make you self-aware. And if you're not, if you're not critical of yourself, if you're not your own worst critic, and if you're not your own captain, um, you know, who's going to do it for you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, coach, you, you talk about getting things done on the recruiting end of, of this whole situation because you, there's no events to go to. There's no gyms to walk into to evaluate and all that, you know, uh, coach Ken, he, he, I was talking to him the other day. He said, man, we picked up seven commits in three weeks. And then a couple of days later, everybody's writing about it all over the Twitter sphere. And so I was like, man, these guys are really getting it done. Like, so it makes, it makes sense that just because you're in a, you feel like you're at a disadvantage or you can't do this or you're limited or you still, you can still bring it. You can still work as hard. You can still hear again, like you talked about connecting, staying connected, even though there's, all this distancing that's taking place, you can still be more connected as ever. Technology has been great with that. I mean, that's, this is that point where we're like, thank God for technology and not trying to tell guys, Hey, get off FaceTime, get off your Instagram stories and blah, 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 blah. Like now we're like, no, get on your phone and let's talk. And so, yeah. Great stuff, Coach. I mean, that's... I should, I should have bought stock in DocuSign and Zoom. I, if, I if I could go back, right. if I could go back, I'd, I'd stock DocuSign and Zoom. It'd be big, it'd be uh, back to the future style. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. You, you, uh, you're balling, brother. I mean, like unbelievably. <laughs> uh, so, Coach, given all your success, right? I mean, because you've had some success and you're going to continue, I'm sure. But just... Because, yeah, success is always kind of one of those things where it's like what's successful to one man isn't successful to the next. And so that's sometimes, uh, you know, that who's debatable, right? But you've had yeah. success. You've won games. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't be in the position you're in today. What motivates you to do what you do even after all that? I mean, if, if you're motivated by anything that's monetary or worldly, um, that's of, that's of, that's man-made. It's going to be fleeting because it's all going to be gone sooner or later. And I think we're finding that out right now. Yeah. If if your drive is is anything that's made of this world, uh, it just kind of it's kind of it's fleeting and it's sad it, and it'll, it'll disappear. Uh, for me, it's just it's 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 the internal drive and the passion that you wake up with every single day, knowing that you could potentially have an impact on somebody's life today. Yeah. And every interaction every interaction is important. So. What, what do you want to do going forward? I don't know. You got to wake up and, and win the day. You got to attack the day and not for you and for your own selfish game, but for how do you make the world a better place? How do you change the world from your vantage point? What are you doing right now to make somebody around you feel different to impact them in a, in a spiritual way, in a physical way, in a mental way, in an emotional way, in a social way, what are we doing right now to change the world from our vantage point? Because we are of this earth, so we have to live here. But at the end of the day, we don't have to think like everybody else thinks on this planet. Yeah, we can we can we can love more. We can live tired. We can love hard. We can we can be more spiritually connected than 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 we give ourselves credit for. Uh, and we can we can dive into the soul of this universe that that most people just want to want to want to you know kind of numb their senses to. Yeah, there's a, there's a spiritual battle that's going on every single day that we need to pay attention to. Yeah, and uh, I just think that's. For me, waking up knowing that there's a lot of things in this life that we can that we can help change for the better in a positive way, in a relentlessly optimistic and forward-thinking way, versus thinking that we always have to play the victim to whatever society throws our way. Let's just start becoming more with the victor mentality and changing the world from our vantage point. So that's to me when I wake up every morning, it's it's once my feet hit the floor, man, I'm I'm gone. Yeah. There is there there is no there is no charge up time. I mean, my, when I when I sleep, I sleep, and I probably snore too loud, and that's probably why that's why Courtney kicks me out of the bedroom at night, you know, and sends me down because it's just I snore too loud. And so yeah. when I'm up, I'm up. When I'm up, I'm up. Though 
Yeah. And, and I'm going to be juiceful and I'm going to be useful. And that's, nice. that's, that's the end of the story, baby. You know, coach, I've always, you know, I tell coaches this a lot too, is uh, I, I maintain that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. <laughs> and the quicker we come to that realization, the quicker we'll understand what really matters and what matters the most and what should motivate us. It's the long game. If you're playing the long yeah. game, then you understand. I like this. I like what you said after one of your press conferences. Uh, it said, it, you said it doesn't take any talent to be negative. Like that's huge, man. Like, you know, right now, especially this time, like we all need to process that. Like we, we we're constantly evaluating kids and kids like, like we're judges of everything that's pure and holy, right? <laughs> but it's, then it's like, let's look in the mirror, judge ourselves. Like, yep. it, do you really have, I mean, you being negative, you being a Debbie Downer or whatever, does that really make you like that great of a judge of things happening? Like, no kidding, things are bad. No joke, society's crumbling to a degree. But how are you going to fix it? What are you going to do about it? Like, what's your part in it? So yeah, yeah. I, I hear you completely, Coach, and I appreciate you saying all those things because I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm a, I'm a soapbox guy at times, and that can get me on one real quick. So I appreciate <laughs> you doing it. Now, Coach, yeah, because I just, you know, I'm passionate about a lot of things, and one of them is about how we view life and our perspective. And so yeah, now, Coach, I would ask you because you, I've read, you know, different different stuff about your background, so I know you've sacrificed some things to be where you're at, but what have you sacrificed or even invested to be where you're at today? Well, I can give you, I, I, I can put a monetary value on that. And I, I just, you know, there's a lot of, I love listening to people's stories. Yeah. I mean, I love listening to people like coaches that say, you know, they lived in the garage when they were GAs, you know, or whatever. Yeah. To, and they, you know, they, they, they slept, they slept in the garage with no heat, no air conditioning <laughs> in the summer and the winter to, you know, to, to be graduate assistant just to get their foot in the door. And we've all had experiences like that. Yeah. Um, and, and look, I, I always try to keep it as, as real as a hundred percent as I possibly can with anybody that I talk to, but I, I, you know, I've been fired from two coaching jobs, you know, before and been hired to coaching jobs of coaching a national championship, one conference championships as a player, uh, you know, now lately with Missouri Western, you know, flip the program around from, from losing seasons to winning seasons have been part of all the ups and downs that you can have in this profession. And I just, I, I, I always believe you got to bet on yourself. Yeah. And no matter what the cause, no matter what the case, uh, whatever that is. And not everybody's going to understand every decision you make. And if you try to spend your time explaining to everybody why you did this and why you did that, you can drive yourself crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, Coach Myers used to always laugh. He used to say this, you know, written on a bathroom wall somewhere in Lebanon, Tennessee. You used to always say, there's a, there's a saying that goes, you can't please everybody, but you got to please yourself. <laughs> I, I, I laugh because it's just typical. It's typical bathroom bathroom uh, wall fodder, right? And that's, it's, but but it's it's really true when it comes down to what who who you are and what you have to do for your family, yeah. and you got to make sure that everybody in your family is good. Yeah, for sure. But, but you're gonna have to make sacrifices to get what you want or where you want to go. And some of those sacrifices mean betting on yourself at a high level. Yeah. Um. You know, just and this is straight one hundred. But the most recent sacrifice I've had to make is I had to I had to pay my own buyout. To, to get the job at the University of Wyoming. Wow. So, I mean, and I'm not going to tell you what that figure is, but you can pretty much do the math when it comes yeah. down to what a guy's making and how much buyouts usually cost. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you got to pay your own buyout to go to go back to the to the home state that you love to, to chase a dream that you never thought was going to happen. I wanted to play for the University of Wyoming. It was one of my lifetime dreams. Yeah. And now now I have the chance to go back there and work and coach for the University of Wyoming with Coach Linders is, is something that I, I couldn't even fathom. Yeah. I, I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't even have told you that was a real possibility ever in my life. Wow. And, and God, God works in this, you know, mysterious ways and timing is never going to be good for anybody to take a job or not take a job or to get hired and get fired. Timing. There's no such thing as good timing in any of this stuff. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have to, you have to decide, are you going to bet on yourself or not? Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, I bet on myself when I took the Missouri Western job to a place that hadn't won in a long time in 20 years since it had, or, or, you know, 10 years since it had a real winning season. And so for that, you know, that, that, that's a gamble you're going to have to take and are, you got the stones to do it. Jeez. And then this, the same thing with the university of Wyoming is taking this job. Yeah, it's a gamble. It's a gamble that what we, what, what the staff's trying to 
take on down there and can flip that thing. But you got to believe at a high level in your capabilities and not, not just from any other, anything other than have you done it before? Have, can, can you, have you done it? Confidence comes from demonstrated ability. Have you proven and shown that you can do it before? Yep. All right. I'll pay that buyout. I'm ready to go. Let's roll. Wow. That's good stuff, coach. I mean, that's uh, so heavy because you're, yeah. you're saying to yourself, and, and just here again, big picture type stuff in anything in life. Are you willing, you got to count the cost. And if it's, if it's advantageous, do it. If it's not, stay, stay right where you're at. Do I guess I would ask, I guess I would ask coaches, you know, in this profession, at the end of the day, would you be willing to pay your own buyout <laughs> to go take, to go take another job? Because <laughs> most of the times we're asking somebody else to pay our buyout, right? For sure. Yeah. So would you, would you pay your own buyout to go, to go chase a dream? Yeah. To go, to go, to go after a job that you, you know, yeah. essentially grew up thinking about. <laughs> yeah. No, man, there's uh there's those dream jobs every one of us have. There's those dream situations every one of us have. And we can always, you know, like they say, the grass looks greener on the, the other side, but the grass looks good when you water it where you're at. And sometimes no we got to take all those things into consideration and think to ourselves, hey, man, I may, I may have to take a hit here to do this, but if this is where I'm called to be, and this is, like you said, God's working in that, you just do it. And he'll take care of the rest. Situation will work itself out, however you want to view that. And uh, just, you know, every coach out there, I encourage you, get to where you want to be. Go where you're wanted. Get to where you want to be because that's really life satisfaction, all that. All that comes into play. So that's great, Coach. I, you know, I didn't know you were going to share that about your buyout, but, man, I just read a, I read an article a couple months back about buyouts, and it named down every Division One coach's buyout situation. It was crazy. <laughs> And I was just like, what? They're not, they're not cheap. No, not at all. It's not like, you know, I, hey, look, I'll give you 2000 a day and I'll pay you the rest when I get my first check, okay? <laughs> there, there's, no, there's no layaway on this, man. There's, there's no down payment for these things. No, nah, nah, man, they're like J.G. Wentworth. They want their money now. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's tough stuff, dude. So I appreciate you sharing that. Now, Coach. I would ask you because you, man, you've got you've got a lot of juice. You got a lot of wisdom. Uh, there's a lot of information that you know all of us listening can really pull from. But I would ask you, what have you learned about yourself throughout your career? Well, I, I think Gary V summed it up best for me. And I love listening to Gary V. Gary Vee's right. dude, man. Yeah, he, yeah. He brings he brings he brings a different perspective on all this, man. He challenges the status quo and. Uh, a couple of things I've learned is one, I'm I'm not status quo, man. I'm the enemy of the status quo. Yeah. That's a shout out to Josh Looney, my former boss here at Missouri Western. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he he helped learn he helped me learn that about myself. But uh, in in the words of Gary Vee, man, I I work at micro speed with macro patience. Nice. And I think my deal is you got to work as 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 insanely as insanely hard as you possibly can right now in the moment today and, and what we're given in this 24 hours that we're given right now, you got to work with micro speed. You have to be on edge all the time and get ready to go because something could change like that. Yeah. And then you have to have patience for the long game. It's what you talked about is that this is a long game. This yeah. is a long life and we're not going to get the results we want right now out of a microwave, but you got to work with that speed. You got to work like you're cooking something in the microwave right now. You got to work like that yeah. every single day. Like that thing's about to be heated up and it can pop at any moment. But with that macro patience puts in mind is that you have to have the patience to play the long game and to understand that all the speed that you're working at right now is not going to pay off immediately. It's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah. And, and so what I've learned, man, is, is it's okay to be an enemy of the status quo. It's okay to not be like everybody else. My name was Sun, my name's Sundance, man. I'm, I, I was born with, with, an outlier name and perspective on life just because of that, that, that gift that my parents gave me Yeah, and that you, and that you have to work with a relentless pace and have an, an amazing amount of faith and patience to do what we're trying to do. And that's for anybody in any profession is faith and patience. They are our cornerstones to everything that you got to be getting to. And for me personally, that's just what I rely on. I rely on my faith, my patience and my passion. Wow. Good stuff. Coach. I like how you brought up Gary V man. Like a lot of coaches out there, you don't know who Gary V is. You need to you need to tune in, uh, and that, that might take away somebody's edge that's listening. Say, hey, I don't want nobody to hear him too, but you need to listen up because that's uh, he he talks a little different, 
So, I mean, there's some things that you, at first he won't like him. Like he even says it himself. First, you're not going to like me, but then you will. Um, Look, damn it. Gary Vee and David Goggins, man, those oh, two guys yeah. keep it as real as anybody yeah. out there. Yeah. I love Goggins. Goggins goes hard, yeah. man. Yeah. I love Goggins, Gary Vee, those two guys. They may not say it in the tone that you want, but who cares? Screw it, yeah. man. Like yeah. th- those guys, they get to the to the point, and then that's what that's what we need to do. <laughs> we got we don't have time to wait. Let's get to the point. Yeah, you know he called his he called his economic meltdown. He didn't call it specifically, <laughs> but anyways, that's a whole other story. But yeah, a lot of a lot of. Uh, I say nuggets because nuggets reminds me of McDonald's, but a lot of nuggets with some sauce too. So yeah, that's good stuff, coach. Now, my last question is always about legacy, man. And I know, uh, man, you've already, you've had, you've already kind of panned out a legacy for yourself already to a degree, but I would ask you coach, when it's all said and done, what would you want to be said of you? Man, tell a story about me. That's it. Like, Nice. And, and don't tell a story about, about, about me in, in the sense that like I did this or I did that, but tell a story about how I made you feel or, or an interaction, a time that we had together and, and how, how that maybe changed you a little bit because every interaction I've had, and they've, I've mentioned a lot of people in, the, in this podcast, they've changed me yeah. and they their legacy is left it's imprinted on my heart. It's imprinted on my soul. Wow. And for me, that, you know, when it talks about legacy, it's not about wings and things and all this stuff. That's all crap. Like, we all love it. That's what we chase. Yeah. That's what society is going to tell you is the highest level. But at the end of the day, you know, God's Hall of Fame is important to me. Yeah. And I'd rather be in his Hall of Fame than anybody else's. Wow. And I can tell you this. If there's an interaction that we had that made you feel a certain way, uh, right, wrong, indifferent, good or bad, at the end of the day, I, I want my interactions with human beings and other people in this life to, to maybe spur on a little different thought or change them in a certain way. Have a good time, make a smile, make a laugh, right? Share a beer together, whatever it is. Like those, to me, life is about the interactions and the connections that we have with other people that we're living it with. Yeah. And so for me, my legacy, if there, and I, I hate talking, I even saying the thing, my legacy, but at the end of the day, if there's anything that can, that I would, when I'm dead, gone and buried, show up to my funeral, have pizza, hot wings, and beer, and let's all tell stories. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Coach, uh, man, it's been real. So I appreciate it and your time, your energy, because that's when I, th- when I think about you, man, I think energy. So I really do, <laughs> I really do appreciate your time, Coach, for, and for giving us your perspective. Mike, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate you, brother. Love you, love you, bro. Love you too, man. You have a good one. All right. Talk soon. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.